Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are If you're taking notes, go ahead and, and start uh, start writing, start getting ready to write. We say this all the time, best place to take notes right here, right, on Sundays. Um, last week, we had a powerful, a, a very important message, and this is the second part of that message. It's a message in which Omar kicked off, and he kicked off a message in regards to our mission statement, as we've been calling this our nest mission, and he broke down what the, the mission statement was. And I wouldn't ask today, I told you all we were going to do a pop quiz, but let's kind of save that for another day. But our mission statement, it's simple to remember, but it's very powerful when you come to break down every single word and what it means. It's a statement in where I've learned that after years ago when we um, put this statement in place, I've recognized that it's, it was, it's being said a lot. And throughout the years, I've heard something very, I see people say it, churches say it. And I hope that people understand the meaning behind it, understand the weight behind it, and don't just say it openly without really considering what this really means to the heart of God, to the heart of our Father. And the mission statement is this. It's to ignite an authentic love for God and people. And we hear this all the time. Love God, love people. And we we sing songs about loving God and loving people. But we live in a world where we recognize that not everyone is loving God and not everyone is loving people. Amen? Amen. And, and I, I want to make sure that it's not something that we just teach or believe because the word says it, but we lack in living it. We want to make sure that this is something that holds us accountable, that the word of God does that in the way that it does. Amen? Amen. To ignite an authentic love for God and people. Can you say that with me? To ignite an authentic love for God and people. And Omar last week, he went into the first part of this message, which was to ignite an authentic love for God. And today I want to share about this, to ignite an authentic love for people. You should write that down in your notes. So let's talk about these words, the word ignite and the word authentic. We heard it last week. I'll say it again. The word ignite means to arouse, to inflame, or to catch fire. The word authentic means real, genuine, not copied or false, something that is true. So plug in those words, plug in those definitions into the mission statement. To arouse, inflame, catch fire. A real, genuine, not copied or false, a true love for God and for people. And that's what our heart should be. That's what our mission should be. That's what our direction should be. To have a genuine, authentic love for God and for people. Amen? So, you know, as I started to think about coming up here today and sharing with the church this mission, and in my very own life, it's very, I mean, let's be very honest here. As a believer and as a follower of Jesus, it can be hard at times to love people. Amen? Amen. It can be hard to love people because people, everyone say people. people. All right. Now, as we talk about that, I want you to know that in that word people, it includes you. And it includes me. It includes us. It includes myself. People can make it real hard to love them and to serve them. So I'm not picking on anyone. I'm saying even myself, even you, right? You're in agreement with me? We could be hard to love and hard to serve. But when Christ 
when his salvation and when his love enters our heart, it begins to do something. It causes us to begin to care for people. Because we learn that people have souls. Hopefully you come here and you know that, that this body, this tent, that's all it is. It's a tent. It's a canopy in which a soul lives in. This body will one day go to the ground, but it will not live forever. Scripture teaches us very clearly that what's inside of this body, what this body holds and contains, that is what lives forever. And every single one of us in this room, inside of that body of yours, there is a soul. Amen? People have souls. And we begin to care. Souls that are in desperate need. Desperate need to be touched by God's love and to be saved. Do you remember when you were in desperate need to be touched by God's love? Do you remember when you were in desperate need to be saved by this love? And if they're not touched and saved, then we know that these souls will perish and they will be separated from God forever. I want you to hear that as a believer. Because what does that do to your heart when I tell you that every day you walk by someone or you do life with someone that when they die, they may perish forever? Like, think about what that, that means to us. That every person needs to hear the good news and every person needs to see the good news in you. Amen? Souls in desperate need. So I, you know, I started thinking about that, and you've heard this before here. I've never, I've never understood how a person who has trusted in Christ, who lives for him, who has laid down their life for Jesus, can also be at a place where, where he or she says, I just don't love people. Or, it's hard for me not to hate people. There is no way... That if someone is a true follower of Jesus Christ, can also live without love for people. There's no way. Because that is not the nature of God. How do you have the very spirit of the living God living in you? And the nature of God is, is to give his life for man. And then you say, I have the spirit in me, but I just don't love people. I don't know if you have the spirit living in you. It's not the nature of the Lord. It's not the nature of God. That is opposite of who he is. The Lord wasn't on the cross and saying, Oh my God, I hate these people that I'm dying for. <laughs> it's not his nature. So how can we say that? It's the opposite of all that he is. And all that, the, all that Christ and his word teaches. If we've come to, the lo if we've come to love God then naturally we've also come to love people. It means that the Holy Spirit lives in us and the Holy Spirit directs us in God's will. How many of you followers, believers of Jesus Christ can say amen? It means that the same Spirit that lives and raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in us and will also raise us up from the dead. I share that with Jesus. Who, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? The spirit that lived in Christ lives in me. That's who I think I am. Who do you think you are? That might be the problem. The same spirit that lives and raised them up from the dead is the same spirit that lives in me and will raise me and you up 
from the dead. Romans chapter 8, if you're taking notes, verse 11 says it. In Romans 8, 11, it says this. Look at this beautiful passage written by Paul. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Everyone say dwells. Look at that. Look at, look at this verse. The same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I mean, you read Romans 8, 11, and, I, and it hits me because here is what we're talking about. It's the same spirit, the same spirit in Christ that dwells and that tabernacles in you. Listen to this. Will not operate or function contradictory to when it dwelled in Jesus Christ. When I dwelled in Jesus, I love people. But as I dwell in you, my God, do people stink. No. It's the same spirit that lives and dwelled in Christ, dwells in us. And it doesn't contradict from when it lived in Christ to when it lives in us. How many of you could say amen? All right, so I want to get into today's word. And today's word is a few verses and it's a passage that is found in Mark chapter 12. Can you turn there with me? In Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, open up to it or open up your devices, if that's what you use in a gathering to, to study and to read the word. But I want to break down some verses and I want to see what the Lord wants to speak to us today as he was pointing this into my heart. In Mark 12, we see something in an interaction that is very important. And we see a command, a command in Mark 12 that it's very serious to the heart of Jesus. If not, it wouldn't be in here. And it wouldn't be written multiple times in the Gospels. And we see this teaching from Jesus in its importance, it's it's this supernatural evidence in someone in which belongs to Jesus and what they are to do once, once they're in Christ. It's supernatural. It's, it's, for example, you've ever seen someone that they used to live one way, they used to be in one way, they used to function one way, and then instantly you, start, you see them again like, whoa, what happened to you? You changed. You've ever met someone like that? Then you start talking to them like, oh my God, I met God. I met Jesus, and you're like, what? Maybe before you met the Lord, you're like, that's weird. What do you mean you met Jesus? Yeah, he changed me, so my whole life has changed. And there's this, there's this supernatural evidence that begins to show in someone's life when they're touched by God, and, 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 and it shows in what they do. So I want to read through Mark chapter 12 in these verses, and the context of Mark 12 is very important. I want to break that down and explain it first. See, I don't want to just read some verses and you not fully understand the context around it. It's not just the verse that I'm going to read that's important. But everything that surrounds that verse, that's why I use the word context. What is happening in the moment is extremely important to understand why Jesus would say such a thing. So let's talk about this Mark chapter 12 situation for a moment. We find ourselves in the life of Jesus that there's a huge discussion going on. There's actually a debate. How many of you know that Jesus was also pinned against the wall and thrown into debates at times? It's nothing new. They were questioning him. And there was this whole debate going back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders. And he's confronted by them. He's confronted by religious leaders 
specifically in verse 18 of Mark chapter 12. And some of these religious leaders, for you that are taking notes, we know their names because it says it here in the text. They're Sadducees. And these are some of the religious leaders that are coming up to Jesus, asking him questions according to what is being spoken about at this moment. So what is it that they're speaking about? What is it that they're arguing about? What is it that they're debating that's so important in Mark chapter 12? Why is Jesus being confronted in Mark 12? What is it? Well, here it is. It deals with the issue of the resurrection. And they were going back and forth about the resurrection and the resurrection of the dead. See, for the Sadducees, this was very difficult for them. And we don't have time to break down all the points of the Pharisees and all the points of the Sadducees and what they believed in. But the Sadducees were a religious group that they did not believe in the doctrine of resurrection. So when Jesus comes up to the scene and he starts talking about, hey, Christ is gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to resurrect you from the dead. Like for the Sadducees, they're like, you're going to resurrect who? There is no resurrection. And, and it was a battle between what Jesus was teaching to what these Sadducees always learned and taught themselves. And here is something that's powerful. It's what Jesus tells them in two verses. It's found in verse 24 and found in verse 27. <laughs> Look what Jesus goes on to tell them. Don't think always that Jesus is like this lamb, weak, frail man. He confronts errors and he confronts sin. He confronts things in its path as well. Amen? So look at verse 24. He says, your mistake is, look what he tells the religious leaders. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. Can you imagine telling that to men that their whole life they studied the scriptures? Their whole life they teach the scriptures in God's temple? And you're telling me that my problem is that I don't know the word? That I don't know the scriptures? And the Lord's like, yeah. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Your first error is you don't know the scriptures. You don't know not just the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. You doubt resurrection. You debate resurrection. Meaning you limit God's power. You don't really know God's power. Because the truth is this. Ready? Who is powerful enough to resurrect the dead? No one. But God. So you limit God's power. You don't know scriptures and you don't know his power. He doesn't just stop there. In verse 27, he says this. He is the God of the living and the God of the dead. There is a resurrection power in God. And Jesus says this. You've made a serious error. <laughs> I, I love that by Jesus. That he's in this debate. He's in this struggle of doctrine with the Sadducees. And his response to them is, you don't really know. You don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures. You've made an error. You don't really know who God is. So here is my point as we read through this passage. And we're learning through the context of what I'm about to read. This is a very heated situation. You've ever been in a heated conversation with someone? You've ever spoken to someone and it's very tense? No? You guys are great. Not, not me. It's heated. And it's heated between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus, in the middle of this heated conversation, he's challenging them and he's rebuking their doctrine. You're wrong. Your doctrine's wrong. What you teach is wrong. 
And, and he's, he's rebuking them. But what I love about this uh, conversation, it leads someone that is present in the group, someone that's there watching this. Like, you know, you've been there, right, where you do this? And you're just watching them. What are you going to say now? And the debate's happening, and you're just like, you're in it, you're in the debate, and there's someone that's in the debate, in the crowd, and it leads this religious leader that's in this crowd to ask another question outside of that which the Sadducees are asking. And here is the scripture, here is the verse, here is the preaching for today. Are you ready for this? I think it's very powerful. Mark chapter 12, watch this, verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law, another religious one, another religious teacher and leader, he was standing there and he was listening to the debate between Jesus and the religious leaders. He was doing this. <laughs> and as he's standing there listening to the debate, he realized that Jesus had answered what? Wow. I love that verse. That he's there and he's like, you're getting schooled. Jesus is answering well. There's something about this Jesus this rabbi, what he's saying is good. So I started to pause there in verse 28. Pause with me for a moment. Don't keep reading. And I said, my goodness, Jesus had him thinking. He was curious. He wanted to go deeper. There was something in this man that was searching for truth. He saw that in Jesus, there was something that he was answering. He continued to answer and it stirred his heart. I know it stirred his heart. Because look how deep he goes with his questions. So here is this teacher knowing that Jesus was answering well. And look at the rest of verse 28. It says, so he asked Jesus this question. Powerful, powerful, powerful question. Out of all of the commandments, Jesus, which one is the most important commandment? Was that a wise man or what? If you're going to waste Jesus' time, just ask him. What's the greatest thing that you could tell me right now? What's the, what's the greatest command? I hear this debate that's going back and forth. I'm not getting anything out of it. All I know is that you're answering well. Here's my question for you. What is the greatest command that you could tell me right now? What is it that I need to know? He's searching. You see how he's searching for truth? What's the greatest command? What's the most important? Hey, what Jesus is saying is pretty spot on. So let me dare to ask, what's the most important thing for us to do? What is the greatest command for us to follow? And Jesus, in verse 29, come on, read it with me. Look what Jesus says. Jesus replies, oh, the most important command is this. Listen. I love that he starts with listen. Let's listen. You, you, know where I'm, you know where I'm going, right? How many of you are hearing me today? All right, amen. Amen. How many of you are listening today? Because you could hear, but it doesn't mean that everyone who hears listens. That's why Jesus, throughout every single one of his teachings, says, let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. We all have ears to hear, but not everyone is listening not everyone is, so he starts off with, listen, 
Listen to what I'm about to tell you. And then he says something very good. He says, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. So it's all going to come forth from that one statement. Everything that I'm about to say branches off or is rooted in this one statement. And it's this. There is, one, <clears throat> there is only one true living God. There are not many ways to God. There is not many gods. There's not many deities. There is one God who reigns on his throne. The, the song that we just, the unstoppable God. Immovable God. Righteous God who sits on his throne. There's only one God. And this is what Jesus says. Everything comes from this one statement. So listen, listen closely. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Everyone with me? There's only one true God. If I'm going to start anywhere, it's this. There's only one true God. And from that statement that there's only one true God, here it is, verse 30. And, everyone say and. So from that place that there's only one true God comes this statement. From the place that there's only one Lord comes this statement. And you must love the Lord your God that I just told you about. Listen. The one true God, you must love him, him, that God, not the gods, not that God, not her God, not his God, not their God, the true and living God. So good, Jesus. The most important is this. There's one God and you must love him. You must love the Lord your God. Well, how do I love him? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Well, what does that look like? It looks like the fullness of my being is to be given over to love and honor the Lord. The fullness of who I am. What Jesus is doing is he's taking a sledgehammer and he's shattering the compartments you've made in your heart. He's shattering the religiosity. He's shattering the fake and false religion. He's grabbing a sledgehammer and he's cocking back and he's swinging at the core of man's heart and says, you don't give a piece of your heart to God. And you say, I live this way, in these kind of ways, and in this little compartment, that's where I live and serve God. He says, no, 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 no. You love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and all of your strength. He takes over the whole compartment. He takes out a sledgehammer and nails them. And he breaks it down. He says, this isn't a religion. Not for once. This is a true, intimate, genuine relationship with the creator of the world. And he takes out a sledgehammer with his words. And he shatters the hearer's heart. We're going to tell you today, come on, serve. Serve in our church. Serve the Lord outside of this church. But what good will any of our service be? If it's not from the fullness of truly loving God. You with me? That's what Jesus is doing. He's coming to the core of the man. The fullness of your being is to be given over. How many of you can say amen? Because I know how it is. Because I've been a Christian for, for a minute now. And sometimes I read the scriptures and it's just so shallow. I read it shallow. But when you start to read it for real, you're like, oh, man, nothing's shallow. This is deep. This is deep stuff that he's talking to the depth of me. This is deep stuff. He's not calling us to a shallow faith, a shallow service, a shallow love. It's deep what he's calling us into. So he doesn't end there. You will hope, right, after everything that I just said, let's get out of here already. Please, let's go eat some of the food trucks. But he doesn't end there. 
He says, let me tell you why, ready? Because the greatest command that I give you, it's a two-part command. It's connected. It's entwined one to the other. There's no way that I could tell you that and you don't operate in something else. And there's no way that you operate into something else without operating in that. If I'm going to tell you there's only one true God and you need to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then from that place, I have to tell you the second part of that. It's united. It comes together. They're, one of them is married to the other one. They're brought together. They're merged together. And there's nothing in you that could ever separate them. I'm sorry that I have to tell you this, Jesus says, but if I'm going to tell you one, I have to tell you the other one. Do you want to know what the other one is, church? And the religious leaders, they're like, tell me, just tell me more. Tell me more. And he says, all right, here it is. Ready? The second. Everyone say second. Right, it's equally important. I love that he uses the word equally. Why? Because it's just the same. It's connected, it's intertwined, it's related, it's married to the first one. You can't divorce the second one from the first one. They're forever married till death do us part. And you can't separate them. So the second one is equally important. Ready? Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The greatest commandment that I could ever tell you is actually two commandments that are united in one. Only God has the ability to make two statements into one because he's three into one. And he does all these weird supernatural stuff with his words, with himself. And he says, if you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then from that place flows the second most important commandment, which is actually just as equally as important as the first one. And then he says this. You love your neighbor as yourself. So, so what do you get out of this? It's not important also. It's not important as well. The second, second is equally important. That means they're connected. You can't separate it. If you love God, everyone say love God. If you love God, come on, Jesus is saying this, then you love your neighbor. Then you love people. Case closed. Like it or not, he's saying, no other commandment is greater than these. Like it or not. If you love God, then you love people. All right, let's keep reading through this text so we could get going. It says, the teacher of the religious law. Remember, he's speaking to this man, right? That's hungry, that's thirsty, that's wanting more. Look how he replies to this teaching. He says, well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth. <laughs> he's with the Sadducees. <laughs> and he's like, well done, teacher. What you've spoken is true. Guys, I'm about to share something to you that rocked me when I read this. I, I don't know if you've ever read this. I, actually, you know what? I'm not going to reveal it to you. I'm going to see if anyone got it. Let's see. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. He doesn't end there. You've also spoken the truth in this. Look at verse 33. I know it is important to love him with all my heart, my understanding, all my strength, and I understand what? It's important to love my neighbor as myself. Are you with me? So what is he doing? He comes to an agreement with Jesus. And look at this. There's a revelation that comes from this. The religious leader receives this revelation because he understood the first and foremost, the greatest commandment of all to love God and love people and because he understood that it erupted it brought revival into his heart it brought vision into his heart it, it erupted into something I hope that today something erupts in your heart that vision erupts in your heart that passion and compassion erupts in your heart because you've learned what the greatest commandment is today 
And look how it erupts in his guy's heart, which I hope it erupts in your heart as well. He says this. There is, this is, you, is it with me? Is it here? No. Let's go to the next point. He says, there's only one in God and no other. And he says, and I know that it is important to love him with all of your heart, understanding, and all of my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Look what he says next in the same verse. This is, everyone say this is. Okay, this is. <laughs> This is not me. This is not even Jesus speaking. This is the, the, the religious leader that is having conversation with Jesus. He comes to this revelation. He says, this is more important than to offer all burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Come here, pause for a moment. What's the revelation that this man got? I'm, I'm asking questions now. Go. What did, what, what did you get? Christ is what? Christ is fulfilling the law. Anyone else? There's nothing you can do. Loving God, loving people covers the whole law. Anyone else? Love is greater than sacrifices? Mm, it's good. God doesn't want your sacrifices if you don't follow these things that we just said. This religious leader comes to this point. He says, this is the most important thing. More important than here I... Here I am spending all my time burning offerings, giving sacrifices, but I miss the most important thing. How many of us come to serve the Lord and we're missing the most? Your service is great. Your service is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But when all of that misses the most important point, your service is in vain. Here I am, a religious man, and I burn offerings and I give sacrifices to the Lord. But all of this, no, all of this is not important according to these things that you just said, Jesus. Do you see how this man is rocked? Here's the revelation. Here's what I got. He's saying this. This, what you just said and done in my heart, Lord, this is more important than my religious activity. That's what I got out of it. Everything that we've just spoken, Lord, it's... It's way more important than my religious activity. Loving God and loving people. Listen to this because now I'm going to get ready to wrap this up. Has to be more important than your religious activity. This is the greatest call in your life. What is it? It's to love God and truly love people. If not, all our service. It's not from the true it hasn't been ignited from an authentic place. In 1 John 4, 8, it says this. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In John 13, 34, I'm not making this stuff up. The words of Jesus, 34 and 35, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you you should love each other. Look at verse 35. Um, Omar shared this last week. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will testify, will prove, will give evidence to the lost what is true. Is what he's saying. Because we live what we preach. We live what we believe. So as I wrap this up, I want to challenge you. As I did a couple weeks ago and as Omar challenged you last week. In this love, how can you love people? 
How can this love lead you to serve people? To offer what you have to serve in a greater capacity than you may be serving and loving right now. How many of you, do not raise your hand, but truly answer this deep in your heart, deep in your soul. How many of you know that you've been called to serve in a greater capacity than you may be serving? How many of you know deep down inside that you are called to love in a greater capacity right now than you may be loving? And God is challenging your service. And God is challenging your loving. Right now, and he's asking you, come on, examine that within. We said this two weeks ago, and I'll say it again today, and I won't get so deep into it, but Jesus' last moments with his disciples, what was it? It wasn't to give them a lecture of how awesome he is. He was going to show how awesome he was. And by the way he does it, he gets on the floor, and he begins to wash their feet. And he says, that's how awesome I am. I'm so awesome that I'm willing to come beneath you and serve you. Though I am the one who is worthy of all service. <sighs> Jesus is the one that is worthy of all service. But one of his last acts on earth is to serve man by washing their feet. Serve them to display what true laying down your life for another looks like. And ultimately, if you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus from the moment that he washed their feet, just keep your eyes on him. There's only a few hours. You're not going to miss much. Just keep watching it. Keep watching it. Eventually, all of that, all of that is ultimately completed with his death on the cross. I'm going to serve you not just at the feet but I'm going to serve you by giving my life on the cross. That's how deep I love. I love so deep. Come on, church. I'm wrapping this up for real. I love so deep that I'm willing to serve so deeply. So what are we calling Nest Church to do? We're calling some of you to get uncomfortable. We're calling some of you to serve deeply because you're called to love deeply. Oh, but it doesn't fit my schedule. Oh, but I wanted it this way. Oh, I'll do it, but only if you put me like once every three months. Then the leaders could only say, man, well, you may not be loving deeply because you're not willing to serve deeply. I'm wondering if there's anyone in this church that not just within these four walls amongst each other, but even outside these four walls, what does loving deeply and serving deeply look like for you? What does it look like? I hope, it's a, I hope you could come to the place and, <clears throat> and we'll wrap this up. But I hope we come to the place where we come to the heart like Paul is. Paul writes twice about something that should arouse our curiosity. <clears throat> and I'm going to read through these verses. I hope you catch something from these two verses. Let's put the first one up. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Just look at Paul's letters here, Paul's words. You tell me what Paul is saying to us today. Ready? Even if, I'm be, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Paul, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul, coming to the place where he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Let's put the next one. As he writes the letter, not just to the Philippians, to the, to the church in Philippi, but he also writes a letter to Timothy, and he says this to Timothy in his letter, 
Look at Timothy. He repeats himself. There's a reason why he's repeating himself. Look what he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Paul says, I'm being poured out. I'm completely giving myself with no reservation. The liquid is completely being emptied from the cup. I'm totally giving myself to God. How many of you today can make a commitment and say, I'm going to totally give myself to God? The ESV says it this way. It was a vivid illustration of a life poured out for God's service. The Philippians too are a sacrificial offering. They are to emulate Paul's joyful service to God. What does English standard say? As Paul was a drink offering, he's telling the church of Philippi, you follow the lead and also be a drink offering. The New King James describes it this way, uh, study Bible. He says, Paul, he chooses a Greek term that depicts a person who fulfills the duties of public office at his or or her own expense. In the Christian context, this word speaks of worship humbly offered to God. So my question to us is this, can you empty your cup for his service? Because why? Why should I do it? Because you love God. Because you love God, there's something flows from you, and it's this. You start to love people. So I want to ask you this. Is it possible? Everyone say that. Is it possible? Now we can get to the place where 100% of us begin to love people. Is it possible that when someone walks into this family and says, This family loves people because they truly love God. As I I ask that question, is it possible where 100% of us can love people? I want to ask this. What would that look like in your life, in our lives? I know that first off, it would take 100% of us to love God. I know that. But what would it look like for us? What would happen to this family? What would happen to your family, your home, your own house? What would it be? What would it look like? What would we see? What would you see? To ignite an authentic love for God and people. To ignite an authentic love for people. So, maybe, maybe, maybe T, just come up here for a moment. But I end with this. You know how and you know why we live like Paul? And how we can live with the same spirit? Same words that Paul said, emptying out our cup as Paul said, living as a drink offering as Paul said. You know how this is done? Here's, here's why and, this, and here's how. I think King David gives us an insight. King David says this in Psalm 23.5. Enjoy this as it comes up on the screen. Look what King David says. You anoint my head with oil. And David says this, and my cup runs over, my cup overflows. I'm going to pause for a moment because as you hear from our teams now and you hear about some stuff that we want to do throughout the rest of this year and what you can offer, I want you to think about what David writes here and everything that Jesus said, the revelation that this religious leader just got, everything that Paul speaks of leading to this ending. A cup runs over. Everyone say runs over. No, no. Say overflows. Say my cup overflows. The only way that your cup will overflow is when it cannot hold everything that's being poured into it. 
when your life is being poured into, stuff has to come out. Because he's overflowing your life. So I want to leave you with this. The reason why people get worried, people get burdened, the reason why people get bitter, the reason why people get mad, the reason why people get tired, it's because they're pouring out from an empty place. And that's the reality of it. People are pouring from an empty place, but when you find joy and you find encouragement and strength and happiness to serve alongside each other, you're pouring from an overflowing place. Amen? And the emphasis here on Psalm 23 is that the, the good shepherd's loving care for us, his sheep. And the Lord not only gives his people what they need, but he's going to supply in abundance. In the midst even of difficult times like we've gone through, like the world has gone through. You know, in verse 5 of the same, uh, of the same verse that I just put up, the Lord reveals this to David where David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, in the difficulty of life. You anoint my head and my cup overflows. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to examine your heart. And I want to ask, would you right here be willing to pray this prayer? Lord, as I sit here and I heard this message, Lord, let your cup, let my cup, let it overflow. I pray that my life, that my cup would overflow with love. I pray that it would overflow with service unto you and it would flow, overflow with service unto others that I would truly love you and that I would truly love people. Come on, I pray right there. Where I, can I just pray with you for a moment? Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. And I believe that this is not a call just for one person. I believe that this is a call for, the, for, for beloved. You're calling beloved, you're calling the body, you're calling your church to this command. You're reminding us of this truth to, to truly love you genuinely. And you want to ignite that authentic love for you. That it flows from that place. And in that place, it would flow to loving others and serving others well. So I pray that you would begin right now, if your word, that it would, your word would start stirring the hearts of people. That people would say, like we see many of your followers in the scriptures say, Yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Where we see the disciples drop their nets and follow you. Where we see Matthew walk outside of his tax collector's tax office and goes and follows you where we see lepers and blind drop what they're doing and follow you because they've come to know you and love you where I see the adulterous woman or I see the woman with many husbands at the well with many lovers is impacted by you comes to love you and takes the gospel back to her town and takes it to the leaders of her town and brings salvation she begins to serve people because she first has come to love God Lord, I pray that you would do that right now. Begin to stir that upon our nest. That our nest would become activated. And that we could have a good problem here. What's the problem with your church? My problem is 
that 100% of us love God and serve people. We love people well, and this is how every single person in our church is connected to something that we do. Lord, that's our prayer, that every single one of us can be connected to something that we do. Or maybe something that we could start doing. Stir our hearts, and in all these things, we say, yes, Lord, and amen. Come on, can you give God some praise? He's worthy. He's worthy.